This is the word of God. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to take a little imagination trip with me just for a minute. Imagine that you're in the 1980s. There's no such thing as cell phones uh, yet. And you are taking a trip out to California, a road trip out to California, and your uh, car ends up breaking down right in the middle of the Mojave Desert. And for some reason, not only did you not bring a cell phone because it hadn't been invented yet, but you also did not bring food and uh, water. So a uh, bad job planning on, on this, uh, this trip, and you start to get hungry and thirsty. It's a meager 110 degrees outside, and you're sweating. You're losing a lot of water really, really, really fast. And then it gets to nightfall, and it goes down below freezing, only to be back to about a meager 110, 115 degrees the next afternoon. This goes on for three more days, and finally, uh, you see a shelter all the way out in the distance, and you muster up the courage and the strength to walk there, knowing that you don't have that much longer before you're going to black out. And you see this structure is made out of adobe. And if you know what adobe is, it's this hard uh, rock-like material that's there that is uh, able to endure the elements. And as you come close to this shelter, you see signs in the driveway that say, food, water, uh, free phone, bathroom inside, please come in. And so as you come near, you spend about an hour walking around the shelter, finally to realize one very small but rather important detail. There's no door, and there's no way to get inside. And so just like that, the fact that all that free stuff is inside, it doesn't matter anymore because you can't get in. You have no access to it. You can't get in there anyways. There may as well be everything just beyond those walls, just as there may as well be nothing beyond those walls. It may as well, it is just the same that it's 10 feet in front of you with a wall dividing you as it is if it were on the moon. There is no access to it. There's no way inside. When Jesus says, I am the door, he is telling us a lot more than what we would ordinarily think. The Gospel of John is about Jesus' eternality, that Jesus has his origins in the heavens, that he's from everlasting to everlasting. He's the eternal God come down in human form. He takes upon himself our humanity. He adds to uh, his, his nature, our human uh, nature. He, being fully God and fully man, can with full integrity look at all humanity and say whatever it is that he wants because we're his creatures and he can dispense with us, he can dispose with us however it is that he pleases and he tells us in this passage that we not only desperately need shelter from the fall, he not only says this, he not only acknowledges this, we get this message, this divine message from God himself come down in Christ to tell us that he approves of you 
taking him by faith and entering through him and him alone entrance into this very shelter. Jesus says, I am the door. Whoever goes through me will be saved. He's saying exactly what the reformers in the late 1500s, early 1600s uh, picked up on. Uh, when they meditate upon the goodness of, uh, of, of God, the gospel of free grace, they came up with the phrase uh, that was foreign to many ears. God is for us. He's for us. He's for me. That is, he's not against you. He's not against us. He's not against me. He's for us. And he comes to us in Christ to say that as the door, he bids us entrance. We have heavenly, uh, an invitation from heaven itself, bidding us entrance into the heavenlies and to know that all, all of heaven approves of us coming in. God is for us. And it's this that we're, we're going to be thinking about tonight. From the previous chapter, uh, Jesus is here in this context, perhaps the, uh, who's nearby is the a uh, man who was uh, formerly blind, he was born blind, and then the religious elite are also uh, there who uh, were known to be shepherds of the people of God. They, uh, they end the last chapter in a, an attempt to try to justify themselves. If you remember that question that they've uh, given to Jesus, are we also blind? Well, the intention that they wanted to extract from Jesus is, no, you're, you're not blind, you're, you're good to go. Uh, essentially what they, what they do is they try to justify themselves to Jesus, and then Jesus then goes into a monologue about them and about himself. And as the theme of the sermon this evening says, uh, what Jesus is doing is that he's identifying himself as the door for the sheep that leads to life in contrast with the false shepherds who would otherwise lead to destruction. And so we're going to be thinking about this with these uh, couple thoughts that are given on your bulletin tonight that will bring us through the passage. Number one, uh, we're going to be dwelling upon the door and the robbers, verses 7 and 8, and then the nourished and the deprived, verses 9 and 10. And to start us off with the door and the robbers, we come to verse 7, uh, where the Bible says that Jesus again said these things to them. And I'd like to briefly point something out, that last time when we left off in verse 6, uh, we left off with the Pharisees not understanding the allegory or not understanding the, uh, the, the, the figure of speech that Jesus spoke to them. Well, there, Jesus taught by means of a picture. And here, and moving forward, he's speaking a lot more directly. Uh, he's no longer setting up the thing that he wants to say, he's just saying it. Uh, clearly. And again, it's not as though the allegory was dark. It's not as though the allegory was hard to interpret or mysterious, hard to understand or something like that. Uh, He was just simply using an object lesson to call them out, and they didn't grasp what he was saying. And so again, he says these things to them, and we see that he's not speaking anymore in strict allegory this time, or Uh, What we said last time is that he's not giving his preparatory set for what he wants to teach. Now he is engaged in what is called direct teaching, direct instruction. Notice also that this instruction is organized in in a certain way. It's organized in such a way that the reader is made aware of, in verses 7 and 8, who is being spoken of, if you see that in verses 7 and 8. And then in verses 9 and 10, what the consequences are that, they, that this has for the sheep. In other words, the organization, it's organized along the lines of the who and the what. 
you know, who are these people, and then what happens to the sheep as a result, as a, con, as, as, a, uh, as a result of coming in contact with these people. And with this, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Uh, here, this is the uh, third of them. And as we've uh, come to know, we've seen, we've come to know, the I am statements are there to tell us something about Jesus, namely that he is taking to himself the divine title. It's here to tell us that God is the one who is saying this. Jesus uh, takes upon himself the, the divine title in order to substantiate the claims that he wants to make for himself. In other words, there's no higher authority that he can appeal to than himself. If there was some sort of higher authority that Jesus can point to in order to prove his case, well, that thing would be of a higher authority than his very person. He does not need any higher authority than himself to appeal to in order to verify the claims that he says. When he makes these I am statements, it carries all the freight of the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because all are aligned uh, on this very phrase that Jesus is the door of the sheep. Uh, we may have looked at this uh, just last time in the last sermon, but it was common for shepherds in this day to have shelters uh, built for their flocks. And again, all around the, uh, the, the shelter, it was rock, it was a big rock wall, uh, and it would be it would have uh, thorn bushes uh, put on the top of it, and there would be uh, an opening. I came across a story where a while ago, perhaps I think in the 1800s, someone was traveling through Israel. Uh, he spoke to one of these shepherds that just happened to have uh, one of these shelters uh, still there, and sure enough, there was four walls and an opening. And so the man asked the shepherd why he didn't put a door up to keep the wolves out at night. And the shepherd replied, I am the door. Uh, when the light is gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the space, and no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf can ever enter in this shelter who doesn't come across my body. I am the door. And the inference is more clear, I think, for Jesus than for this shepherd no one comes into the fold of Christ who hasn't been allowed entrance by our Lord Jesus Christ. And no one comes into the fold who comes in by any other way than through him. Now notice what this is saying. Uh, this has uh, a lot of ramifications for the basics of the Christian message. This is to say that the claims of, of Christ are exclusive to himself. And yet at the same time, they're inclusive to encompass anybody who would come to him. So at the same time, they're exclusive and inclusive. Someone once asked me uh, a long time ago, uh, what is the most heated topic? What is the most debated topic in all of Christianity? My answer was that that was the exclusivity of the claims of Christ. And I say this because we live in a world that wants to reduce the size of Jesus' claims of exclusivity to himself. We live in a world where, uh, where the world wants to relativize the words of Jesus uh, to make him something of a door into the promises of God instead of the door through which alone we have our blessedness and reward. He is the door that as we enter through him and through him alone, and he, as the God-man, as we've seen already, he's pleased to do this. Uh, it's, his, it's his desire uh, that you enter 
through him. All of heaven is aligned that you do this. He is desirous of doing this and being this for us. That is to say, he's delighted to call us his very children. And yet in contrast to him being the door for the sheep, verse 8, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Uh, unfortunately, this is, this is a phrase uh, that is colloquially uh, in our day and age. Uh, I think it has something to do with our American culture. Uh, a lot of people look at this and say that uh, this refers to Old Testament saints uh, or John the Baptist or something like that. In other words, some, some, there are some people out there who don't know any better that think that the phrase, all who came before me, is a wholesale denunciation of the Old Testament. But if, if you just consider the passage, if you consider what Jesus is saying, if you consider the context here of this passage here, you'll see very clearly it's not in reference to the VIPs of the Old Testament. You know, Elijah, Elisha, Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, any of those, uh, those people. It's not in reference to any of these, uh, the, these people. Uh, if you just consider the context of the passage and what comes directly before it, he has in view the very religious elite who were standing uh, right in front of him this, this time. I mean, he's speaking to them, of course, as we know. So why would he be referring to the Old Testament saints? And notice uh, another thing that he says that all who came before me are thieves and robbers, not were thieves and robbers. And besides, who can deny that the way that they've treated the man born blind is the same way that thieves and robbers would customarily treat a person, Right? So he speaks about the Pharisees who were there, who we've seen before, described as being thieves, that is, they're, they're crafty, uh, they're mischievous, and as robbers who are violent and who are uh, easily frenzied, who, by the way, in just a few months after this very passage, will manifest their mischief, they'll manifest uh, their anger, they'll manifest everything that is uh, congruent with what is being a thief and a robber, and put it upon Jesus himself, and they will crucify the Son of God to their own shame. So it's no wonder, then, that, as the verse says, that the ones who follow the Son of God, then, aren't taken in by them, which is what he implies in the rest of the verse when, it, when he says, the sheep did not listen to them. They don't listen to them because they're made to hear the voice of the Son of God and live. And because the religious elite aren't the shepherds of the sheep anyways. That is to say that God preserves his own to the end. And so what we have here is we have the door and we have the robbers. That is the thieves and the robbers uh, set by, side by side. And now we move on to our second point, our next point on the nourish then and the deprived for the last couple of verses. So we see, we, we've seen the who in this passage. That is we know who the door is. Uh, we know who the thieves and the robbers are. And now we can move on to see the what in this passage. In other words, what's the result <clears throat> or the consequences in coming in contact with these two? To what end do either of these serve the sheep? How do the sheep fare by being in proximity to those two? Well, firstly, Jesus answers that question about himself. Look, look with, with me at verse 9, where he reiterates, I am the door. Notice again, there's not multiple doors, right? There is only one door. There is an exclusive door. There's many thieves, many robbers. There's only one door. There's only one door. 
Uh, that is to say, the thieves and the robbers, or we can say the peddlers of the false gospel, are a dime a dozen. Uh, they're all over the place, but there's only one Christ. Uh, in a while, we're going to be uh, hearing a, a benediction to say that there is only one great shepherd of the sheep. There is only one Christ. What's, what's going to happen if and when you come through Christ who is the door? Well, a couple of things are going to happen. Verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Now, as some of you know, I'm kind of a language nerd. I don't apologize for that at all, just as long as you don't judge me for that. And even then, I'm still not going to apologize for this. Now, I'd like us to see the kind of language that our Lord uses here, namely, that what is promised is contingent upon something else. Take a look at at, at the verse here. Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, which is a contingency statement, then he says that they will be saved. It's future tense. And that they will go in and out and find pasture. This is what's called a promissory statement, otherwise known as it's written in stone. It's going to happen. You can bet your bottom dollar on this definitely happening. That is, the, the being saved, notice it's passive even, right? That they will be saved. That is, something is happening to you that you can't generate for yourself. The being saved, the going in and out, and the finding pasture, those three are definitely going to happen. Those are promised. Set in stone, they're going to happen. Contingent upon entering by Jesus, which is to say, contingent upon faith in Christ. But you know what the beauty of the gospel is? Don't let the contingent statement scare you off, because the beauty of the gospel is it's the Spirit who enables us to come to Christ in the first place. Right? The Spirit of God is the one who seals and applies the redemption bought for us uh, by Christ. He's the one who takes the things of Christ and, and, and delivers them to us. He applies them to us. In other words, not even the contingency is something that you have to supply. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not a works-based salvation. Uh, even the contingency of, of, of faith in Christ is something that is supplied by the Spirit. It's not by your effort that you come to Christ. It's not by by your own work. It's not that, okay, now you've finally cleaned yourself up well enough to to, to come to Christ. Now you've mustered up uh, all the courage and and, and all the righteousness, all the virtue to now finally be able to come to Christ. Uh, It's the Spirit who enables us to enter by Christ. It's the Spirit then, who we can say this, who turns wolves into sheep. And in turn, what happens to the sheep? They're saved. And they go in and out, and they they find path. That that is, they're saved. They're snatched from the the mouths of the wolves. Uh, They they go in and out and find pasture. That that, that is, they find in Christ freedom. Uh, They find in Christ deliverance. Uh, They find in Christ safety, freedom to be under his protection. They find nourishment. That is, they have free recourse to go in and out as they please through him to find pasture, to find safety. In the context of the local church, we understand this as the rights of members to be ministered to and to have their wounds salved by the gospel of Christ. Redemptively speaking, we can understand this this as something 
relatively close to the adoption as sons, which the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, points out is where we enjoy all the rights and privileges of the sons of God. We find nourishment in Christ. We also see this nourishment then in the end of verse 10. Uh, You'll see how structurally uh, verse 9 uh, the same themes of, uh, that's found in verse 9 is found at uh, the second half in verse uh, 10. Christ says uh, of his nourishment that he offers to the sheep, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I'll be totally honest with you. When I first became a Christian, uh, I didn't really know what to do with this passage, <clears throat> mainly because of a couple of things. Firstly, life is a binary concept. You either have it or you don't. How can you have it? Abundantly, How can you have it more uh, than someone else? It uh, kind of tripped me up. Secondly, it sounded like Jesus uh, was saying that he came so that your life in this world would have an abundance. That's what it sounded like to me. Uh, it didn't occur to me until uh, later on that he isn't talking about life in the same way that we typically think about it. He's not saying that you will live your, le- your best life now. He's not promising that you're going to have more stuff. Uh, He's not promising uh, that you're always going to be happy. He's not promising that you're always going to be rejoicing if you're a Christian. Anyone who has any idea of the concept of life in the Gospel of John uh, knows that that's an illegal use of that, uh, that understanding. Jesus isn't here to give you more stuff that's of this world. Why do I say that? Because he's here to give you himself who, as we've already seen, is not of this world. If our hope is not to be found in this world, what good would it be that if he, that he fill you with the things of this world and that be called the abundant life? He's here to give you of himself. That is, he is here to give you something of what he has, an unending life, a life where he's your shepherd, a life where you're his sheep. A life that, yes, includes the road to the cross to, to, to endure the sufferings and, and the hardship of this age, but one that enjoys unending communion between himself and you. It's a life that's, uh, that starts when you enter by Christ who is the door and you grow in him from one glo- degree of glory to another, being transformed into his image the more you're under his shepherding guidance, the more you're under his shepherding protection, the more that you're under his shepherding provision. And so you don't have to always be happy for that. You don't have to have a lot of money for that to be a reality in your life. You don't have to have all the bling for that to be realized in your life. You have it by faith in him. And it's a faith that started in him as well. This is what it is to be nourished in Christ, to be saved, to go in and out and to find pasture and to have life and have it abundantly. This is the result of going through Christ who is to us the door. Now contrast that with what happens on the other hand uh, with the alternative where the sheep are deprived. Uh, You can see this in verse 10. The first half of verse 10, our Lord says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, set in the context that it is, you can just as easily understand it to say that the thief comes to steal and to slaughter and to destroy. That is to say, the thieves or those who peddle a false gospel, they aren't interested in, uh, in the sheep for the purpose of adding to their own number. They're interested in the purpose of, of, of the sheep for the purpose 
of feeding upon them themselves. There's a number of times in the Bible where a listing of three things will indicate that something is full, it's complete, it's comprehensive. So then to steal, to kill, and to destroy now is colloquial uh, for the totality of destruction. What happens when you neglect to come through Christ who is the door? The only other alternative is to fall into the hands of Jesus' opponents and they're not going to show any mercy. Uh, because they know no mercy. It's not uh, in them uh, to demonstrate mercy because, well, mercy has not been uh, delivered to them. Immediately in this context, it's referring to the Pharisees and the pseudo-gospel that they hold to, but by extension, it's anything that threatens the security of the people of God. So you see the contrast here uh, that the Gospel of John beautifully lays out through its entire book. Jesus, on the one hand, offers life. On on the one hand, Jesus offers life, and in contrast, you have, well, what we can say, you can have what you normally have when sin has its way. Uh, You have complete and utter destruction. You have utter ruin, on the other hand. You have, on the one hand, the door that is Christ. Everyone who enters through him will find nourishment. You'll have pastorage to, to, to the end of the age, and on the other hand, You have the thief. He only knows how to destroy. He only knows how to kill. But see, what Christ does is that he comes under the destruction of the thief so you don't have to. And what happens to him in the end? He takes up his life again then to dispense that life to you uh, by faith, to enter into all the promises of God by him. This is more of what it means when Jesus says, I am the door. And we can praise God that we find in Christ the door into the promises of God and all of heaven waits at that invitation. Come enter in to Christ who is to you the door. We've seen that Jesus identifies himself as the door for the sheep that leads to life in contrast with the false shepherds who lead to destruction. I have a couple of applications as we close. Brothers and sisters, Enter through the door of Christ. It may be rather pedantic to say this. Enter through the door of Christ, the door of the sheep. That is to say, believe in Christ. Uh, Trust in him and find in him your exclusive entrance in the promises of God. He is the door. Uh, That is to to say, he's not a wall that we need to climb over. He's not a ladder that we have to ascend, you know, rung by rung and stuff like that. Uh, Otherwise, that would be pure works-based salvation. And that that literally would be a holier-than-thou mentality uh, if we play that out uh, to its conclusion. Uh, He's the door, or as I like to understand it, he's the entrance way. We enter through him by faith alone, through faith in his merits, through a trust that he'll do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That is, to hem us in, in front and behind, to lay his hand upon us, as Psalm 139 says, uh, to keep us safe from all his and our enemies, and even by his own mercy and by his own grace, to win all his and our enemies to himself, so that they may be the sheep themselves. We are to enter through Christ, the door of the sheep. Secondly, make sure that others can enter as well. Make sure that others can enter as well. This is one of the applications that's laden in verses 9 and 10, that to enter by the door of the sheep is to live as sheep. 
and it's also to live the abundant life. Now, that phrase, living the abundant life, was stolen by plenty of people who think it means something else, but I'm going to try to steal it back because it's right there in in the Bible. I can't really do anything about it. It's right there. To have life abundantly, right? It's, 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 It's right there. To have life abundantly doesn't mean, again, that we're going to have more money, more stuff, or that you're always going to have good things to happen to you, that you'll live a prosperous life, something like that. Having life abundantly, firstly, is being won over to Christ. That's what it is, firstly, to have life abundantly, to have that unending life that Christ instantiates in, in this age, and that you will carry with, uh, with you into the age to come. It's to be, as John 3 says, to be born again. And you see the uh, analogy that's, uh, that's there. You can see that uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the sensibleness of this. To be born again is to have this abundant life instantiated now, that by virtue of his life that he's lived for you, that he's laid down for you, and that he's taken again by his grace alone, he dispenses that life to you. And now your life, as Paul the Apostle says in Colossians 3, is hidden with Christ and God. It means that you're born again. And secondly, it means that you're going to want others to have this life as well. That's what this means, which aligns with the overall purpose of the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 31 says, These things are written so that you may believe that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. That's the purpose for the Gospel of John. Now, among many other things, then John wanted his hearers to enjoy this life that he has uh, come to have himself, and that desire should no less be ours as well. So it's ours, then, as followers of Jesus, to make sure that by our compassion, uh, by our love, are seeking the things that are above, our hatred for sin, love for the Lord Jesus, by our faithfulness, we, we can make sure that others can enter as well. I often say this, that we shouldn't add any offenses by our personalities to the gospel that's already enough of, a, of an offense, a stumbling block to Jews, a folly to the Gentiles, which is to say that we shouldn't add to that offense the roadblock of our own attitude. Now, we put down the deeds of the flesh. We live out the gospel that we call others to, and, 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 and by doing so, we make sure that others can enter into the promises of God as well. In other words, this is a call for personal evangelism, personal outreach. So, brothers and sisters, enter through the door of the sheep and make sure that others can enter as well. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for Jesus, who is to us the great